Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The latest COVID surge has hospitals reeling, school districts scrambling, and the rest of us really wondering, will this ever end? And how do we keep ourselves and our families safe? We're going to talk today with you and with two experts who have strong advice for understanding what's going on and how we persevere here in the third calendar year of COVID. That's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm glad you've chosen to join us today. Two years after the novel coronavirus started spreading around the world, we are now in the midst of one of the most confusing and troubling points in the COVID-19 pandemic. The Omicron variant is a viral tidal wave that's infecting more than half a million Americans every day. Think about how different this wave feels than just about any wave that's come before it. If you haven't come down with COVID recently, you probably know a lot of people who have. It seems like the virus is closing in around us in ways it has never before. Maybe the good news is that most people are getting relatively mild symptoms if they contract COVID, especially if they're fully vaccinated and boosted and let me take the opportunity here again to encourage everybody who listens to the program to go out and get the vaccination and get the booster. But that's not true for all. You still have people who are vaccinated and boosted who find themselves testing positive for COVID, and some of them are experiencing really severe symptoms. And hospital systems in Michigan say they're at a breaking point. As Governor Gretchen Whitmer told me on our show last Friday, we're all at risk if our healthcare system is on the brink of falling apart. So we're going to spend the full hour today talking about this moment in the pandemic and what you need to know. I'm as tired as everybody else is of this. This is the third calendar year in which we're dealing with COVID-19 and all of the things, the disruptions that come from a pandemic. And I think it's reasonable to ask. I think all of us are asking, when is this going to be over? Are we ever going to get past all of this? A little later in the show, we're going to hear from Wayne State University medical researcher Dr. Paul Kilgore, who joins this show pretty often to talk about the latest COVID information here in Southeast Michigan. But first, I'd like to welcome back someone who has been doing really fantastic reporting about this pandemic for months. Catherine Moo is a staff writer at The Atlantic, where she covers science, and she joins us now. Catherine, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me again. Yeah. So what do you think are a couple of the most important things people need to know right now during this Omicron surge that's infecting people at a much higher rate than past variants? Oh, my goodness. Where to begin? <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I will echo your call for vaccination. I think, you know, it's it's a little difficult to hold a couple truths in mind at once right now. You know, knowing that vaccinated people, um, even people who've gotten three doses of vaccine can still be infected by this variant and, you know, others. This has always been true of vaccination. I think what is essential to think about here is that the vaccines are still doing the most important job at this moment of crisis in the pandemic. If you're infected, you will still be much less likely to experience severe disease and death. 
And so it's so essential to get more, uh, a higher percentage of the population vaccinated because that is ultimately how we're going to slow the spread. I think another thing to keep in mind here is that we really need to be careful about how we talk about this variant. Um, I think it has been good to see that proportionally a smaller percentage of cases are winding up in the hospital and winding up uh, dying from an infection with Omicron. But, you know, there's a lot of things to keep in mind here. Cases are so high that even a small percentage of an, like, an unbelievably large number can still amount to something that is overwhelming hospitals. And that is a very good reason to take the variant seriously. We also can't assume that this variant is, you know, inherently milder, that the virus has somehow domesticated itself. Uh, a lot of the effect we're seeing in reduced severity comes back to my first point, vaccination. And, you know, it's up to us to protect ourselves rather than relying on the virus to just treat us more gently. I think the final thing to keep in mind here is, you know, as exhausted as we all are, we have to keep in mind that individual risk for many people may be low right now because they are vaccinated, because they're maybe younger and healthier, but there is this enormous collective risk to keep in mind. Uh, the more cases we see, the more we see the system overwhelmed, and you know, the more variants are likely to come at us. Um, I know how tired everyone is, but this is not the time to check out. Hmm. So last year, you joined the show and talked quite a bit about the possible trajectories of the pandemic and what life with the virus would eventually look like. And I remember in that conversation, we were talking at least a little about this idea of learning to live with smaller waves, I guess, of, of COVID-19 mm -hmm. or less lethal ones. Um, certainly, Omicron gives us some clues as to what the future looks like. I think the good news, as I said in the open, is that it appears to not be quite as lethal uh, as the Delta variant was, but it also does seem to be much more infectious and, and more easily spread uh, than the other. So, so now that we're dealing with Omicron, I, I wonder if you want to revisit that conversation that we had and some of the things that we talked about then and put them through the lens of what we've experienced in the last couple of months here. Yeah, so I think this is another really important conversation to have, so I'm glad you brought it up. I think one thing that is quite clear is that this is not meant to be the future that we are reaching. Um, you know, when we talk about this idea of endemicity, which is this idea that, you know, the virus may stick with us long-term and cause smaller waves. It may even exhibit a seasonal pattern as we see with common colds and the flu. Uh, that is not this, and this is not that. We are seeing very much, you know, still a pandemic-worthy surge where caseloads are so high that the system is being completely overwhelmed. People are getting infected at unsustainable rates, and this is just not a future that we can sustain. Uh, I think, you know, we will not be in this position forever. And again, the way that we get there is to continue to build our defenses through vaccination. Uh, what is I think difficult here is people, I think, are grabbing onto this idea of less severe or milder and thinking, hey, this is our path to, you know, kind of get this virus over with. But I think, you know, there is a really important time aspect to keep in mind here. When we think about, you know, the virus becoming endemic, the virus circulating among us for probably the rest of our lives. Um, probably beyond that, given how easily it's able to infect other animals and maybe kind of move back and forth uh, into the human population. I think, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'm probably going to get infected eventually. Why don't I just get it over with now? Mm -hmm. And I really push back against that because, you know, think of this in, in sheer numbers. We've been talking about flattening the curve since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, even if there is a sense of inevitability for a lot of people, you know, a lot of us probably will end up infected with some version of this virus before, um, 
you know, we conclude our lives through some means, that does not mean we all have to get infected right now. We're seeing the toll of just an enormous number of cases hitting the system all at once. Uh, I think we really, really, really need to come back to this idea of delaying infections where possible, preventing spread where possible. I don't think that means we have to enter some sort of draconian lockdown. I think people can assess their own risk and live their lives, but there is no reason to go out and get COVID over with. I also think there's a an assumption tucked into there that like, oh, I get Omicron and I'm done. Uh, with an endemic virus, we're never really totally done. And we always have to remember that an infection that we catch for, you know, for ourselves, for, you know, getting it over with for me, that still puts the people around us at risk because this is an infectious collective risk. Yeah. So uh, the thing that worries me about getting COVID or not getting COVID right now during Omicron, and I I have heard lots of people say, we're all going to get it. You might as well get it because the, you build up the antibodies to it and that'll help you go you know as we go down the road with the next variant etc cetera, etc cetera. my concern with that is the assumption that omicron and and the the lack of lethality i suppose that that it that it seems to be carrying is the blueprint for the next variant what if the next variant is as deadly as Delta or what if it's worse? And and I guess I would love to hear you talk just a little about the possibility that that could happen, that, that Omicron is maybe a head fake a little by, by COVID and that uh, there could be something more powerful coming behind it. Um, uh, and again, what we would have to do if there were a strain that put us back to where we were, for instance, in in mid twenty twenty, where where if you caught it, um, you know, and, and weren't vaccinated, for instance, that uh, that the, the the chance of you ended up in the hospital or ending up dead were 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 very high. Yeah, it's a it's a really good and important question. And I think the first thing to keep in mind here is that I don't think there is ever going to be a variant that completely resets the world to March of 2020. Uh, we have just built up so much immunity since then. We have, you know, developed tests and treatments. And a lot of us know much better now how to control the spread. You know, the key is, of course, implementing those measures and getting more people vaccinated and keeping people up to date on their vaccines. I think one thing that's really important to keep in mind here is for a variant to take over, it would have to outcompete Omicron. And what viruses want to do more than anything else is spread and infect us because they want, you know, and I'm of course using want loosely here, viruses don't want anything, but what motivates viruses is, hey, I want to get into this host. I want to make a ton more of myself so that my progeny can do the same in a bunch more other people they don't really have stakes in making us super sick or not super sick, unless that for some reason impacts how well they spread. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of complex biology there, but all that suffice to say that, you know, there is motivation for this virus to spread better, to spread faster, but there's not huge motivation for it to kill us. Um, So, you know, it's, it's certainly possible that the next variant could be more or less deadly, that is so impossible to predict because we don't know exactly how the virus is going to motivate itself. We don't know how mutations are going to sort of, uh, I guess, drag deadliness back and forth along this sliding scale. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, we, we we get ourselves sometimes into hot water when we make predictions about what, uh, what variant is going to come next. You know, and keep in mind that, you know, Omicron is not even descended from Delta, it's a totally different lineage that actually dates all the way back to mid 2020. And so we can't make any assumptions about whether the next variant is going to look a lot like Omicron, whether it's going to look a lot like Delta. It could look like Alpha. It could look like, you know, something that we haven't seen in a very long time. And, you know, we we are making some gambles now when we think about, oh, is Omicron going to be the thing that leaves me with perfect immunity to the next thing? Mm. That's another thing to keep in mind, right? That's one another thing that helps the virus spread is being able to infect people that already had a degree of immunity against it. I don't think we're going to be faced again with a variant that is going to completely undermine our vaccines. That's really extraordinarily difficult for a virus to 
evolve around it. You know, Omicron is doing nothing even close to that. But we do see that I think part of its incredibly widespread is the fact that it can, you know, wriggle its way into people who are vaccinated. Uh, you know, their infections are certainly less severe, they're shorter, fewer symptoms, much less likely to wind up in the hospital. But those infections are initially starting and that does give the virus advantage. an advantage. It's basically able to infect a larger swath of the population than Delta did. So those are things to keep in mind. What the virus wants is to spread. And so that's really all we can say about what is coming down the pike in terms of the next variant. So, so I want to go back to something you, you just said and emphasize it for our listeners. You said you don't see much of a possibility that we would go back to the kind of circumstances we were facing in March 2020, that things have changed so dramatically on the positive side in terms of vaccination, in terms of what we know about the disease, about the treatments that have been developed for for COVID-19, that you just don't believe we will have to face that kind of, of threat from COVID again. Is that is that a fair interpretation of what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll emphasize again that we always have to sort of portray how bad things get as an interaction between us and the virus. And it's very easy to fixate on, okay, what's the virus's next move? What's the virus's next move? Is it going to get deadlier? Is it going to move faster? Is it going to infect more of us? But we have to focus on what we can do as hosts. We have made ourselves considerably less hospitable to this virus in the past two years through acquiring immunity, you know, through developing excellent treatments, through being able to catch it. If we continue to implement those measures, we are putting ourselves on better footing. And so whatever the virus lobbies at us next, we'll still be better off. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Catherine Wu, a staff writer at The Atlantic who covers science about Omicron and where we are and where we're headed and what we ought to be doing to make sure that we keep ourselves and our families safe. We want to hear from you as well. How is the Omicron surge change your feelings about the pandemic and living with the virus? Has it made you more cautious about seeing other people or being involved in social situations? Give us a call and tell us what's going on with your kids and school. I know there are a lot of different approaches that school districts are taking right now to trying to keep kids and teachers safe, but also keep enough staff healthy to show up to run the schools. Uh, Also give us a sense if you're losing faith in the guidelines that uh, the CDC continues to change uh, uh, to try to keep us from spreading the virus too much. Uh, How much faith are you putting in the process and in science at this point? How much are you just kind of deciding for yourself what makes sense and what would be safe? 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to social media and put comments there and we'll put you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest right now is Catherine Wu. She is a staff writer at The Atlantic, where she covers science. We're talking about the Omicron surge of COVID-19 and the ways it is disrupting our lives. Very different from the Delta variant and, of course, the initial strains of COVID-19 but still very serious, uh, very infectious. And despite the number of vaccinations and the number of people who've even received a booster to that vaccination, uh, we're starting to see that COVID-19 will be able to break through some of 
that vaccine. Certain variants will be able to still infect people, uh, even if their symptoms are not as severe as people who are unvaccinated. We want to hear from you during this conversation about how you're reacting to this particular surge. Has it made you cautious about seeing other people and being involved in social situations? We just got done with the holiday season. How did you manage that? Did you do the things that you used to do before COVID uh, during the holidays? Or were you still observing a lot of the safety protocols that uh, the CDC has told us will keep us safe and stop the spread of the virus? Also, give us a sense of how you're listening to the CDC, how you're listening uh, to our public health officials here in the state of Michigan uh, as they give us advice about how to deal with Omicron. Have you lost faith in that process? Have you lost faith in some of what those folks say we should be doing? Uh, or are you still really trying to observe uh, safety safety guidelines in order to not only keep yourself safe, but keep everyone else uh, from contracting uh, COVID-19. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and we will try to include you in the conversation that way. Uh, let's start today with Mike in Ann Arbor. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Stephen. Good morning. Hey. Uh, you know, I, I feel like as far as uh, the CDC, my faith in them, it, it definitely has decreased. Um, I think that the new guidelines of only being five days is more so concerned with uh, the economy and make sure things are flowing and things are okay in that in that sector. But as far as your everyday person's health, there's no way that five days is a long enough time for a person to quarantine. Hmm. Uh, COVID has hit my house, and 10 days after, there still were symptoms. I know it's different for each person, but five days is just not enough. It just it doesn't make sense, especially when it was 10 to 14 days before. Mike, I... I... Really appreciate your call and sharing your experience, number one, but also sharing your skepticism about the CDC and these and these guidelines. I hear a lot of folks talking about that. I thought I think your example, which is this new uh, suggestion that you quarantine for five days rather than ten, is is one of the things that gives people pause about the CDC and the the advice that they're giving. Catherine, we react to what Mike is saying about not just what the CDC is saying and why it changed, uh, but also the, the motivation that Mike suspects is, is, is lurking beneath all of this. I think that's an important thing to address as well. Yeah, Mike, I, I'm also really grateful to you for calling in because this has been a, a topic of hot contention over the past couple of weeks, as I'm sure you've noticed. I think there are so many things going on here and, you know, I think there is an understandable urge to get people out of isolation as quickly as we can. We're certainly seeing the effect on schools, hospitals, businesses, with many, many, many people infected and out sick. Um, but it's also essential to do this safely. And I think that is exactly your concern. And I hear that very, very strongly. This is a really, really difficult time to be sending people who are potentially infectious back out into society. And the CDC has absolutely received a lot of criticism for not including a test out requirement or not including some sort of clause about, you know, hey, maybe only do this if you are vaccinated and boosted and thus, you know, have a better chance of having a, a shorter contagious period. I think the way that I have been trying to communicate about this because the CDC's current guidelines feel a little shaky to some is, you know, to really pay attention to whatever information you can have. You know, if you are still feeling sick at day five, you know, certainly that is no reason to exit isolation. And the CDC actually is, you know, acknowledging this. They don't want you leaving isolation at day five unless you are feeling much, much, much better, or even if your symptoms have disappeared entirely. If you're still feeling sick, that is a sign that your body is very likely still fighting off a, a decent amount of this virus. You got to stay in isolation, um, maybe up to day 10, perhaps longer if you're still feeling quite sick. And if there is access to a test, which I understand is very difficult right now, that is another piece of evidence you can gather. You know, it is, is the test coming up negative. Um, the tests aren't perfect, especially the, the at-home rapid ones, but that information can really help give you a sense of whether exiting isolation is safe. Hmm. Uh, it's a very tough situation, but uh, I think there are ways to navigate it. I mean, you've had some 
strong language to 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 describe what is going on at the CDC. You recently wrote that America's COVID rules are a dumpster fire and that if you're confused by the CDC's new isolation guidelines, you're not the only one. I mean, what 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 has changed, I guess, at the CDC? I mean, for a long time in the pandemic, I think we all were were looking quite quite glowingly at uh, what the CDC was saying to figure out what to do. Why, why is that different now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I think there has been a lot going on there. And, you know, we do have to be a little charitable here. This is a time of intense crisis. They're operating on limited information. And this new variant has absolutely thrown everyone for a loop. I think the tricky thing is they are trying to balance what is scientific um, with what is palatable for people who don't want to be in isolation for 10 days, uh, maybe even 14 days, 20 days, depending on how sick they are. They're trying to figure out a way to not shut schools and businesses down. But I don't think they've been very transparent about that. You know, their primary charter here is to follow the science and to be transparent with the American public and to give them clear, uh, easy, simple rules to follow so that people, you know, buy in and keep faith. But I think the way that they've communicated this has been a massive bungle. They've sent mixed messages on how well tests can operate in this context. They've sent mixed messages on how much of these guidances were scientifically motivated versus economically motivated. And they have, you know, debuted this 1,800-word guidance on isolation that is really difficult to read, seems to send its own mixed messages, Mm -hmm. and comes with, you know, another couple thousand words of justification that also seems to undermine this a little bit. You know, there are some studies showing that some 30% of people can remain infectious past day five, and the CDC isn't super clear on all the steps you should take to tell which camp you fall in, the 70% or the 30%. Again, I understand why things are difficult right now, but the further they erode trust, the harder it is going to be for the public to follow any guidance they debut after this, even if they sort of correct course. Sure, sure. Again, uh, Mike, really appreciate the call and uh, you sharing your experience with us. Let's go to Marge in Macomb. Marge, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, My experience personally had nothing to do with covid because I didn't have it, but I had to go to the emergency room. I had a bowel obstruction, which I've had before. I usually go in, they give me IVs, and I'm out in a day or two. Well, it took, I sat in the emergency room for 20 hours oh. before I could even see a doctor. And that caused other problems. So I ended up spending 10 days in the hospital instead of two. Oh, no. And I'm thinking if I'd had a heart attack, I'm sure maybe I would have gotten in maybe sooner. But it just kept pushing everybody back, even mm. those that really were in an emergency state. Right. Marge, I'm really sorry that that happened. And that sounds like a very frightening and serious kind of situation to to be in. I think there are a lot of people who find themselves going to the hospital for things that they would normally go to the hospital for and not finding the kind of response that they would normally expect because there are a lot of COVID patients and and our hospitals here in Southeast Michigan have all said that they are at the breaking point. That is what they are describing um, uh, the situation as in terms of how many beds, how many doctors and nurses are are consumed with the work of treating treating COVID patients. So Catherine, I, I imagine that this is a national trend as well. Uh, but it's a reminder that the things that we do to either uh, stay safe or be reckless during COVID that gets us or other people sick and lands them in the hospital has consequences far beyond ourselves. And that has been a tough sell for a long time in the pandemic, the idea that we need to act responsibly in order to make sure that other people don't get sick or don't get treatment or uh, are otherwise victims of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is another reason to not dismiss Omicron as mild or trifling or, you know, just get it over with now. This is the toll we're seeing. This is how Omicron is actually incredibly severe, arguably more severe than the variants have come before it because of the societal toll it's taking. Yeah. Uh, 
Let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome to the welcome to the show. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to start by saying I so I went to my doctor yesterday for my annual physical, and the first thing he asked was did I get the booster, and I had my vaccination card and and everything. So I'm glad to see some medical <laughs> um, common sense going on because uh, when I, I I work in the entertainment business and we we work in various venues and I got tested like three or four times this week and some people were tested positive on the antigen test and just sent home. I don't know what what kind of uh, guidance they were given, but they were just sent home and not efficiently enough as I saw because they were still way too close to everybody else for a time period. Mm-hmm. And um, some were uh, given a PCR test and sent home, obviously. So that's more reassuring because I actually came upon that before the vaccinations came around, and I, I, that's just not really reassuring for you just to get sent home. So, but my question actually is about the variances the doctor talked about. So the Omicron didn't come from the Delta, and the Delta didn't come from the Alpha. Is that how I understand it? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. so that's why, like the Omicron. Is more resistant to the Delta, but the Delta is not more resistant from the Omicron. Can you can you elaborate on some of that? Yeah, great question, John. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, so I, I think there's um there's a lot going on here. Uh, when we think about where all these variants have come from, uh, the fact that you know Omicron has sort of outcompeted Delta, and the fact that Delta outcompeted Alpha, that doesn't necessarily mean one was descended from the other. It just means you know these variants were kind of successively more fit. You can almost think about them running faster than the ones that came before them. But uh, the reason that we're seeing some differences in how well, for instance, the vaccines protect against Alpha versus Delta versus Omicron, it's all a little bit random, actually. You know, the the reason that Omicron has been able to spread faster than Delta is due to a couple things. You know, as it descended from this other viral lineage that actually started way back in 2020, it accumulated all these mutations randomly. Some helped it spread a lot faster. And eventually it looked so different from some of the other lineages that were growing alongside it, the ones that included Alpha and the ones that included Delta, um, that it gained an advantage at this point. Now it looks so different from Delta, Alpha, even its original ancestor way back in 2020, that our vaccines are only um, a a fine match for it, but they're not a perfect match. And so there are two reasons that Omicron is doing so well. Uh, One is that our vaccines don't completely protect against it, so it's able to infect some vaccinated people. And it also seems to maybe have um, a pretty big advantage when it is uh, copying itself in the upper airway, which is also uh, where uh, viruses can spread pretty easily out when you're breathing, speaking, whatever it is. Hmm. Okay, Catherine Wu, it is uh, always great to have you here to help our listeners understand what is going on with COVID at any uh, particular time. Thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about the Omicron surge with Wayne State medical researcher, Dr. Paul Kilgore. We also are going to continue to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number here. Call and tell us what you make of the Omicron surge, what you're doing to stay stay safe during it, what's happening with your kids in school, and are you still paying close attention to authorities like the CDC and as they continue to change the guidelines that they issue for staying safe during the pandemic? We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about COVID-19 and 
the Omicron surge that we're all trying to figure out how to stay safe during. We want to hear from you about what you're doing, what you're not doing, what's going on with your kids and their schools. There's lots of variation among school districts right now in terms of how they're having to adapt to the Omicron surge. Also, we really want to hear from you about whose advice you're still taking during the pandemic. Are you still putting a lot of faith in the CDC, whose guidelines have changed pretty dramatically recently uh, to reflect their new understanding of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and and the variants that we are contending with right now. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter. Put comments there and we'll work you into the conversation. We've got another voice to add to the conversation as well right now. Dr. Paul Kilgore is co-director of the Center for Emerging and Infectious Diseases at Wayne State University. He was also a senior investigator for Henry Ford Health Systems Global Health Initiative. Dr. Kilgore, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's great to be here with you and Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you as well. So the last time you were here and we were talking about COVID, of course, was back in November, which wasn't that long ago, but so much has really changed since then when it comes to the pandemic. Uh, Talk about what you think are the most important things we all need to know about right now and need to keep in mind to protect ourselves and other people. Hi. Yeah, absolutely. So You know, right now, Stephen, there are several lessons that we've learned and three key messages I want to make sure everyone knows about. You know, the first thing is that there's no doubt that the vaccine is going to help people be protected against COVID-19. So if you haven't had your first or second vaccine dose, please go ahead and start the vaccination process now. If you've had the first and second dose, the third dose or booster dose is key to actually having the best possible protection against the Omicron strain that's uh, circulating, okay? The the next thing I want to make sure people know about is wearing a mask in public to minimize the virus moving from one person to another is absolutely key. And the type of mask or face covering that you're using does matter. I really prefer for people, if they can get one, to use an N95 or KN95 mask for the best possible protection. Other masks, such as the surgical mask, can be used, but my recommendation is to avoid the cloth mask or face coverings that you've seen earlier in the pandemic because they will not block the Omicron virus as well. And then the third thing that I think everyone needs to know is get tested if you think you may have been exposed to someone with COVID-19 or if you have symptoms of COVID-19 that can look a lot like influenza. Hmm. And the good news there is that the city of Detroit has free rapid testing. The Walker Williams Center on Rosa Parks Boulevard is one place. Huntington Place Convention Center is another. Of course, uh, pharmacies are testing places and clinics, urgent cares. But don't delay getting tested. The the next thing I wanted to say, um, and Marge was talking about this a little bit earlier, if you have an underlying medical condition, and you're taking medicines, please continue to take your regular medications. And if you have not made an appointment for your annual checkup or your checkup with your doctor, please go ahead and do that now so you can stay ahead of any medical conditions that you have. Mm -hmm. And also, you can do that by video uh, if you don't want to go into the clinic or you don't have time or they don't have time. And you can make sure that you stay on top of any conditions that you have because As we heard, the hospitals are really overcrowded. Getting into the emergency room is one thing, but you may be waiting for hours upon hours, and no one wants to do that. Having said all that, Stephen, if you have sudden pain, um, it could be arm pain, chest pain, leg pain, abdominal pain, or other discomfort, don't wait at home. Please go in to a center, call your doctor, call the urgent care, get in, don't delay getting that seen, Um, even if you do have to wait, and just go prepared knowing that you may need to wait, and that way you get that taken care of, because by delaying, 
you run into some situations where it may not be fixable, and I don't want anyone to get in that uh, road, okay? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I want to get back to callers at some point, and again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Um, but before we go back to listeners, I want to get your take on the CDC's changing guidelines. Uh, we're hearing just a lot of from frustration from people who are confused or feel like the CDC is being too lax now in the way that it is telling us we ought to be take you know taking steps to to stay safe. So what's your reaction to those findings? Yeah, you know, I think you know uh, as a clinician and researcher public health person, I tend to err on being a little bit more conservative. Um, the CDC approach I, I completely understand there's a lot of changing data and changing evidence. We even see uh, changing information yesterday from the NIH meeting on how the vaccines are behaving and how they're working. Um, all this, in a way, is good news because it means that we're learning much more. You know, having said that, though, if you want, if you're infected with Omicron um, and you have the ability to wait um, a 10-day period and you're able to, you don't have to go to work, you can work at home or you're working remotely, um, I would prefer to err on that longer time period. Having said that, the message that I mentioned earlier about wearing a mask, um, infected or not, I think is absolutely critical. Because Omicron or Delta, and you're sick at home, and or you're going out, um, you can easily communicate this virus without wearing a mask, when you're not wearing a mask. So the virus... Um, passage to one person to another can be blocked by wearing the mask. So wearing the mask is critical. And the other thing, of course, is that um, one of the things that we know is testing, repeated testing is a great way to learn um, if you've actually cleared the virus. And many people who are vaccinated may actually clear this virus quicker than someone who's unvaccinated. So it's really critical for everyone to understand that getting vaccinated will help everyone. It'll help you potentially even recover faster because we know people who are vaccinated get less severe disease, don't end up in the hospital, and don't end up in the ICU or, or die. So yeah. that's one of the reasons why even people who have not been vaccinated now, it's definitely not too late. It's time to go in now. Yeah. Uh, again, the number here on the phones uh, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the Facebook or to Twitter, put comments there. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. We really want to hear from you about how you're dealing with the Omicron surge of uh, COVID-19. Let's go next to Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, what's on your mind? Well, thanks for having me on again. You know, there's a question that's been looming for a while that hasn't really been touched on. And um, I'm, I'm wondering if your guest knows what percentage of people that are hospitalized um, have pre-existing conditions, because I've heard it's up to 75% of people in the hospital have pre-existing condition. Hmm. And if that's the case, then why aren't we doing shows on health and why aren't we talking about vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and all the things that the health industry is saying will help you overcome COVID? I don't hear anything about boosting your immune system on the news. All I hear is get the vaccination and the vaccines aren't working. So if the vaccines aren't working, why haven't we switched back to the polio-style vaccines that actually work hmm. and that so, we get one shot and this thing's gone? So, so Daniel, we- I do want to give Dr. Kilgore a chance to, to answer some of your questions. But before I do, i gotta got to say it is untrue that the vaccines don't work. I'm going to say it again. It's untrue that the vaccine does not work. The best thing you can do to protect yourself and other people from COVID-19 is to get both doses, both initial doses of the vaccine, and to get boosted. There is, there is no argument about that. There is no scientific uh, disagreement about that. Now, some of the things you're talking about in terms of uh, being healthy otherwise also play a factor in 
the way that your body reacts to COVID-19 and gives you a little better chance, I think, at uh, surviving the worst iterations of it. But that does not mean that the vaccine is not uh, working. But Dr. Kilgore talked specifically about this idea of pre-existing conditions and the role that they're now playing in hospitalizations and deaths. And I know that's a little different. It's maybe harder to tease out at this point uh, because of the vaccinations, but uh, but I know it's still a factor. Absolutely, Stephen. And uh, your caller actually has a great point, I think, in many ways. Um, first, you're right. The vaccines do work. Um, don't delay in getting them if you haven't had the vaccine. But to answer his question directly, there have been a number of studies showing that people who have been admitted to the hospital, one of the reasons is that they do have underlying medical conditions that raise their risk of more severe disease. There's four conditions in particular that I want listeners to know about. Number one, we know obesity raises the risk of severe COVID-19. Number two, high blood pressure. Number three, diabetes. And number four, other heart conditions like heart failure. These and other conditions put people at higher risk because their immune system is not functioning at the top of its game. In order for people to be fully protected, we want, number one, to have the vaccine on board. Number two, to have underlying medical conditions treated and optimized to the greatest extent possible. Number three is take on some new, if you are not doing it now, some new healthy lifestyle uh, issues that you can actually do right now. For example, getting enough sleep. That's an important thing we can all do. Number two is improve your diet. Uh, number three is quit smoking, reduce your alcohol consumption. And there's other things that people can do that are lifestyle factors like improving their diet that can improve the way that the immune system is functioning. All these, it's much more of a, a holistic approach that you're hearing, but the key thing underlying all this is number the three things I mentioned early on. Number one, get vaccinated. The COVID vaccines work. <clears throat> number two, wear a mask if you're going out in public, making sure you try to get the KN95 or N95 mask. And number three, if you've been exposed or you have symptoms of COVID-19, definitely go get the test because that can help you know what you need to do next. Stay at home uh, if you need to reduce your exposure to other people, and just rest. The last thing I'll mention, Stephen, is that we are now in the midst of flu season. And if people haven't gotten the flu vaccine, um, please go out and get that. Mm -hmm. and, and the last thing I'll say, you know, I tell all my students, there is no such thing as a perfect vaccine. The polio vaccine uh, performed very well. It's not a perfect vaccine. The chickenpox vaccine is not perfect. But they are great tools in our fight against COVID-19 that really everyone can take advantage of. And I can tell you now, Stephen, with the safety profile we have established for COVID-19 vaccines, the Moderna vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, the CDC has recommended, go with those. Go out and get your vaccine today. Don't delay because I guarantee you getting COVID-19, getting in the hospital and getting on a ventilator is not something that anyone wants to do. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Daniel, really do appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Um, before uh, we have to end, uh, Dr. Kilgore, I want to ask you about this thing called Deltacron, which is apparently a variant that combines aspects of Omicron and Delta, which sounds horrific uh, to me. Um, we're seeing some scientists disputing those findings, but but talk about things like that and how likely they are to, to visit with us in the future. Yeah, there's no doubt about it that in the future, reassortment or mixing or recombination genetically of these strains is possible. You know, Stephen, I'm looking right now at a website your listeners can go to. It's nextstrain.org forward slash NCOV. And there you'll see a picture of all the strains globally that have been identified and genetically sequenced. One of the weakest links in our entire health system right now is the ability to find these strains, sequence them rapidly in the laboratory. You know, at Wayne State, we are starting this initiative right now with the Detroit Health Department and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, 
where we're building up a laboratory to actually characterize these strains early. So if we find a mixing between an Omicron and a Delta, we can actually tell people, find where that is, and institute control measures, outbreak control measures, to stop the spread of these new strains that emerge. But the laboratory, uh, building up the laboratories, making sure we have strong capacity in Detroit, that's what we're working on right now. That's what people need to make sure they're aware of in the future that needs to happen everywhere in the United States and globally. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Paul Kilgore, it is always really great to have you here with us to talk about uh, what is going on with the pandemic. Uh, here we are in calendar year three, still dealing with it, but uh, I know we uh, continue to look forward to a day when this is just kind of something that uh, exists and is not nearly as dangerous as it is. But uh, I really appreciate uh, the time that you that you have given us over uh, over all of these uh, all of these months uh, while we've been dealing with COVID nineteen. So thanks again for being with us. Thank you very much, Stephen. Great to be here. Yes. So before we end today, I just want to give a shout out to one of Detroit Today's biggest fans, Alberta Tinsley Talabi, former Detroit City Councilwoman, who was named the Moth Story Slam champion at that event at the Marble Bar last week. It was a story called Goals. And one of the things that I'm going to do is try to find a recording of that and listen to it. Uh, you should do the same. Alberta is a really wonderful member of uh, our community here in Detroit and, as I said, is a, a big fan of the show. That is going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Ahead of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I'm going to talk with Christopher Wilson, who is Director of Experience Design at the Smithsonian's National Museum of African of, of American History. Um, uh, that'll be a really interesting conversation, not just about museums, but about history, uh, about the role that history plays in all of the things that we think about today. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>